so yeah to get started here uh anna like what are you who are you what are you doing who who am i um yeah <laughs> putting my philosophy minor to use um yep. i am a senior at cornerstone university um josh's alma mater um mm-hmm. i'm uh I've applied to several grad schools. Um, I'm planning on studying um, history, well, cultural history, um, film, and philosophy in grad school. Um, I've done a couple of research projects, including my thesis that involved film, um, and am an all-around film snob. So that's why I'm here. Yep. <laughs> Hell yeah. I mean, you actually have some... Uh writing published on on film uh where where can people find those um i write for talk film society um so i i think it was a little under a year ago i wrote a um large essay on janelle monet's dirty computer um the film and the album kind of both um and that's the largest one on there, I think. And I have a couple other ones. My um, bio and information are uh, on the writer's list, if anyone wants to find me there. Hell yeah. Uh, yeah, it's all good stuff, and your Twitter takes are awesome. So, uh, um, yeah, it's a good good account. Uh, yeah, so... We're talking. We're talking Blade Runner twenty forty nine here. So, um, so why did you why did you want to talk about this one? Um, this is one of my favorite films. I think um, right around the time where I first started getting into um, like writing film analysis in general, um, I saw this movie and was kind of blown away by it. I actually hadn't seen the first one beforehand, so I didn't really have anything to really reference. Uh, I did go back and watch the first one after I saw this one, though. Um, but I still think this one is actually superior to the original in some ways. I know that yeah. that's yeah. probably yeah. not the yeah. most popular opinion. No, um, yeah, so I kind of, I did I did a tweet earlier today as I was watching the movie where it was like, um, just teasing a spicy take, and that was my spicy take. I think this one's a better movie than the first one. <laughs> um, uh yeah, it's uh right. Like, I mean, I don't think it's ever going to be as influential or iconic because the first one came first and was so new and or like novel at the time, um, especially from like a production design standpoint. But I don't think it's as tightly written. The performances are nowhere near as good. So just as like a whole artifact, I think that's definitely right. Like Blade Runner 2049 is the better movie and actually yeah enhances the first one by like you know making deckard an actual character (laughs) Uh, (laughs) um, because like yeah original one like yeah great production design and had like three or four iconic moments like rutger Hauer's performance is kind of unfuckwithable like the whole tears in the rain monologue is on point at the end but you kind of come away from it who gives a shit about deckard's relationship to you know um to Rachel, uh, and I don't know, the kind of whole, like, what is human thing is a really boring question that's kind of been (laughs) a little too warmed over in sci-fi, so I don't know, I just, it's a really pretty movie that doesn't, uh, hold up well to too much scrutiny. 
um, overall. So, yep, that's it. You've, you heard it here, folks. Uh, Blade Runner 2049 is the better movie. <laughs> um, yeah, and I think, I think in some ways, um, Blade Runner 2049 does kind of continue asking that question of what does it mean to be human? But it's not just that question that it asks. It's also um, asking, like, how are we supposed to have relationships with one another or treat one another under neoliberal capitalism, I think. Because if you... I I actually wrote um, part of an essay about this movie and where I talked about how um, if you kind of look at just, like, the scenery in general, like, the multiple locations that they shoot at, um, it's, it's not very hard to look at those and be like, yeah, that's a pretty probable um, way that our future is going to look, you know, just have like a couple like mega corporations and then just like barren landscape and like huge, very claustrophobic cities, you know? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, It, uh, yeah, it really expands on the mythos there. So like that, you know, the first movie just took place in Los Angeles for the most part. Um, it didn't really, uh, you know, it was like, I think it did a more more like uh, interior work and whatnot. But this one like actually expands on the universe in a, a meaningful way. Like, uh, and I don't even delves into the psychology. Like, I mean, a lot of people shit on uh, Jared Leto's character because Jared Leto is a piece of shit, whatever. Um, but like his his character is exactly like what a billionaire in that world would be like it it is like you know he does totally view himself as like a modern pharaoh or something like like building an empire like uh yeah uh because i mean there is that well when they like he's that that replicant birthing scene right where he's just talking about like we you know self-consciously like well we lost our taste for slavery so we need to build them now and this is how we're gonna like build this fantastic empire and we've already seen like how everything on earth is crumbling and nobody nobody can like live man yeah i mean that i think that scene in and of itself is just super powerful not just because of like how uncomfortable it is but also because like you see so many things like, even today, that can parallel it. You know, I was just, um, a couple weeks ago, reading an article about how they're, like, the new trend among, like, well, pretty much billionaires, very rich people, is, like, like, weird, like, blood treatments. And, like, this blood, like, often comes from, like, people who give it in exchange for money. So, like, poorer people... So, like, literally vampires, you yeah, know? Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah, that was the big uh, Peter Thiel thing uh, a few years ago. Oh, there was, I can't remember where I read the article, but it was, like, a survey of um, just all the weird health stuff that, like, tech guys are into. And they're, like, very self-conscious about, like, being, um, oh, we want to live forever so we can, like, rule over the planet. Like, they all they all think they're... they're uh, uh, Ozymandias or something. <laughs> Which is, yeah. It's, I, I it's... think, I think based on that alone, like 
there are so many questions to ask people, I think, who are involved in STEM and are actually doing cutting-edge research um, in terms of ethics. Um, and then you see that, and it's like, where, where are you even supposed to start with these people? <laughs> like, uh, guillotine, probably. Please. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. that. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> they're all, uh, they're all terminal cases. Uh, God, yeah. Um, I don't, yeah. Circling back to like that uh, whole, uh, like, how do we relate to each other under neoliberal, you know, extreme, well, late, yeah, extreme late capitalism, like. Uh, yeah, what's your what's your take on that in the film? Um, I, I think it. So when in the essay that I wrote at the end of it, I basically said that the only person who seems like they're even kind of happy is um, Decker's daughter, who lives in this like you know bubble, basically um, away from everyone else in society and then she just gets to be creative and like craft memories for um these uh replicants and like just thinking about that like the only person who's happy is someone who's like isolated from everyone else and like you see like everyone else in the film um is like grasping for relationships with other like Kay and then like his robotic girlfriend well not robotic but holographic girlfriend joy um and you know Kay and decker and like everyone else who's in a relationship with each other in that film yeah definitely uh there's uh one of the things i really like is how uh like how important a sort of sense of touch and how truly isolated everyone is so like you know uh Kay, uh KD like Ryan Gosling's character he's like uh so his only relationship is with a, a hologram a computer program uh and he can't he can't touch her like all he can do is like buy that little gadget so she can actually like leave the apartment um and then there's like uh then they have to get like that surrogate body with Mackenzie Davis and like try and map the hologram over an actual person so uh and that's kind of an interesting parallel with, yeah, the um, Deckard's daughter, yep. who's, you know, uh, sort of the heart and soul of everything, but can't also can't touch, like can't be meaningfully connected to anybody except through memories. And uh, yeah, like it just shows how isolated everyone is, like down to the root almost. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. And even like the... The opening scene, you have the eye, like that blue eye that's paralleled with like, like that field of it looks like satellites, I think. Um, or so solar panels. Solar yeah. panels. So it's like um, just like the comparison between like the human and the machine, like right off the bat from the beginning, and it's like a stunning contrast in and of itself. But then. Yeah, you have all these questions of technology layered on to um, these questions about relationships, and then things get very confusing and complex. Yep, that's uh, that's kind of an understatement. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, uh, were the first ones very isolated on that question of you know what it means to be human, and can like artificial life still technically be life? Um, 
I think this one really dives into like the political ramifications of it. So like, you know, the whole, uh, thing with, you know, Katie, he's a, he's a blade runner and he's taking down these machines and like the police captain's like, all right, we can't let anyone know, like a replicant, like had a kid. Cause this'll like shake the foundations of society and we need to like, uh, maintain order and then it's like she's caught in the middle between like the underground resistance movement that's like just sort of barely touched on in the film that you know spirited away Deckard's daughter and then the Wallace Corporation that's uh, trying to maintain something um, yeah I don't know where I was going with that but <laughs> there, there it, it does tease out some like uh, wider connections to a wider struggle and how that society is even built and functioning um, mm-hmm. yeah I think I think it's also kind of funny that um, um, in the first one it seemed like there was um, I think because the question itself that they focus on was you know, what makes a human a human, um, they kind of, they do focus more on that resistance, whereas here, um, because they've kind of, they, the filmmakers know that that question has kind of been exhausted, they um, don't focus on the resistance as much. Like, it's basically used as a plot device to explain where Decker's daughter went, and then that's pretty much it. Like... They're pretty much losing, right, you know, yeah, from what right. we can tell. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know, so, like, I think my last note was, like, is, you know, Joe, KD, becoming Joe, like, being named because he has that, uh, you know, brief moment or, like, the whole middle of the film, he's sort of laboring under the illusion that he's actually Deckard's son. <laughs> or something. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, yeah. Something, um, because, uh, right, because he actually has one of Deckard's daughter's memories. Um but, uh, like, sort of that last question is, like, is he a class traitor? Like, you know, this political resistance, like, no, you need to kill Deckard because he's the last tie between her and us and the Wallace Corporation and whatnot. And so instead of killing Deckard, he saves him and, like, brings him to his daughter and, like, uh, yeah, just dies on the footsteps of that lab. Um, and then you get kind of the, the tears in the rain music over that. So it's, like, you know, very... Uh, yeah, they're they're thereby like sort of identifying him with um, Roy Batty in the first one. So, uh, it's cool. I'm um, <laughs> it's a cool scene. Uh, but yeah, I d- did he ultimately diffuse any meaningful like political resistance, or was that sort of like a dead end thing in your estimation? Oh man, um. I think that, um, like, like I said, since the film is primarily about relationships, like that connection between Deckard and his daughter is probably, like, from the get-go, going to take um, more, like, be more significant than any sort of like super, um, like, straightforward political themes. Um, but I think. I think to an extent he is a class traitor because, you know, like he does understand at a certain point that um, there is like life that's worth being protected. And that's why he ultimately like 
doesn't just kill Deckard or like give him away to the police um, along with everything that he knows. So, I mean, I think there is something that you can glean from that. Yeah, it's like, well, um, what was it? They keep uh, sort of a thing that keeps coming up in the back half of the film is like dying for a good cause is like the most human thing you can do. And uh, of course he's being told that so he can kill Deckard and then like probably die in that thing and, you know, support this uh, shadowy rebel movement. But I don't know. Instead he reinterprets it. Like it's, you know, he has more of a concrete connection to Deckard and his daughter because he shares a memory and then is able to, um, uh, I don't know, make his own choice, die for his own cause. So he sort of like self-actualizes in that, in that way. Um, in that yeah. way. Because, you know, he does have that. Well, he chooses to have that freedom to make his own choice. It's yeah. kind of contradictory <laughs> in and of itself, but he does that. And then like kind of dies. So I don't think, I don't think the death in and of itself is like super symbolic. It does make for yeah. like a great scene, but yeah. I I think you know that does kind of partially answer the lingering question of what does it mean to be human? You know, oh like protecting life that's important and like people who are important to you. Yeah. Yeah. Um you want to um, compare the first film to this one? Yeah, Because I fun. feel like that's um, fun. So, yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, kind of what's what's your... T- like, what what is it specifically about this one that uh, you think makes it superior to the original Blade Runner in its various cuts? <laughs> <with that? laughs> <laughs> um, I think that... Well, the... Though, obviously, the cinematography in the first one is great, I think, um, I like how this one, they didn't try necessarily super hard to emulate that. Instead, they go for, like, all these different super bright colors and lots of um, uh, more abstract themes around them, like the advertisements and stuff, how they're holographic. Um, yeah, there are so many film stills just from the movie itself that you can take out of context and they're just gorgeous. Um, so like you said, the movie is really pretty, so that's one thing, but I think that combined with the fact that, um, it's asking some of these like really cool questions about relationships, um, and also, um, one thing I talked about in the essay too was how, um, it kind of depicts the way that women are treated under neoliberal capitalism. So like, even though you can have like the Lieutenant played by Robin Wright, who has like, who's a human in a um, position of power, you like the rest of the women in the film, like you have Wallace's um, like, um, I think she's like a replicant who works for Wallace um, who's under his command, you have a, you have Joy, who's a hologram, who's not even a person, and doesn't necessarily have free will, and then you have, um, the prostitute, um, who 
um, you know, also doesn't have much of a choice in this situation. So, like, women either have these, like, powerful positions um, where they're basically serving the capitalist order or they're serving someone else underneath it. Um, whereas in the first Blade Runner, I feel like, you know, we have, like, the bad, mm-hmm. ambiguous rape yeah. scene and then... Mm-hmm. Um, prostitutes killed Mm -hmm. the replicant prostitute she's killed Mm -hmm. um and like not to say that that's not also showing what happens under capitalism but i think in that movie um it especially with like the rape scene it was supposed to be um this kind of like like coy like sex scene and it was supposed to be like meaningful in some way and it's obviously not if you go back and watch it (laughs) i don't yeah that Concerning that scene specifically, I think, you know, before this movie came out, I, uh, I don't know, I was still very much in my, oh, Blade Runner is the best one orthodoxy. And like, I think my sister was interested in seeing um, Blade Runner 2049. I don't know if she actually did, but she was like, oh, let's, let's watch the first one. And so we did, we got to that scene and like, or we got like barely into it. She's like, yeah, I'm not into this anymore. And I'm like, I'm like <laughs> yep. all right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's, it's, um, Right, like having somebody else in the room to like read that scene in a different way. I mean, I always thought it was like kind of bad, but I wasn't ever like viscerally repelled by it because I'm a dude. That movie's for me. Um, so yeah, that's a uh, yeah that definitely hasn't aged well. And like so yeah, this movie definitely like women are actually characters in it and not just props for the most part. <laughs> um. Um, so that helps, uh, I don't, even as a, um, like noir or detective story, I think this one works a lot better than the first one. Like it actually does feel like a, I don't know. I think a, you know, a Chinatown comparison isn't too out of the question. Um, I I feel like the, the steps of the investigation in the first one, like it, I don't know. Just doesn't feel detective e enough. Like it's a little uh, disjointed, or something. Yeah. Something. And I think um, there's like the mystery in the second one is a lot more interesting. Like, is is K really, you know, Deckard's son? You know, that's a more interesting question than can I find these replicants and kill them? Also, is right, my girlfriend yeah. a robot? You <laughs> am know? I a robot? Right, yeah. <laughs> uh, am I a robot? Yeah, oh, that's uh, yeah. I mean, because it has, like, uh, the mystery is embedded in these relationships and then, like, the unknown nature of the relationships. So, uh, right, all kind of focusing on KD's, like, memory that he assumes is untrue but slowly finds is true that does connect him to these other characters from the... Uh, first film and then like yeah actually giving Deckard something to care about and fight for and not uh um Mm -hmm. just being like a cog in the in the machine so to speak uh right and it really does go for uh you know uncovering like a larger conspiracy almost at, at it like putting it more in that like uh you know, existential detective movie from, <laughs> like, it's more solidly in the noir 
it feels like an actual noir rather than just like hinting at it as like a stylistic touchstone when it doesn't really like follow through on the story yeah. really like first one at least so yeah and i agree um especially because the first one um like so many of the scenes are um you know just in the city kind of like in dark alleys and um full of advertisements so it's like obviously hearkening back to the noir genre and in this one they expand the different sets and landscapes that are there and it's not solely confined to like this dark cityscape so they're not trying as hard to be like this is noir it's like no right Mm -hmm. then like our main detective gets to go on that journey i think more effectively like by you know visiting all these places and actually like investigating stuff uh (laughs) though the um I don't know, like the computer enhanced scene in the first one's kind of cool with all that, <laughs> where he's just like scanning photos and finding like the. <laughs> but it is, yeah. Yeah, um, that is fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, better. So okay, yeah, and then uh. Yeah, but so. Better cinematography, um, better, um, better storyline, better treatment of women. Um, uh, that I'd venture to say better performances. These feel like actual people um, who are affected by stuff and have motives and things of that nature. So. so. Yeah, um, I think at least in the first one. It, it was kind of strange because you have Deckard and Rachel who feel, um, you know, because we're not supposed to know if they're replicants at first or not, they feel very kind of mm-hmm. like stilted emotionally in their performances. Whereas like with the, repli- the replicants themselves are kind of like very emotional and all over the place. And so I, I understand why they're trying to go for this contrast, but it doesn't necessarily feel super genuine. Yeah, definitely. It's a lot, yeah, stilted. There's just no, it's a bunch of archetypes like running into each other. um, uh, It's, um, what was it? Uh, Do you know who uh, Gretchen Falker Martin is on Twitter or anywhere? Um, Anyway, she's a writer and she has a a column on her Patreon called Thanks, I Hate It. so she just like takes <laughs> down movies that may or may not be beloved. But she just uh, she did a series of like free ones. Usually they're behind a paywall. Um, but Blade Runner was one of them. <laughs> so I was really in a sort of anti Blade Runner mood coming off of that. But uh, you know she's a you know trans woman film writer. So like she really keyed in on how uh, like what it whether or not it means to be human is sort of undercut by the fact that it's all white people <laughs> in. Um, yeah and, that um, too um, yeah. you know and in the well, second one like the replicants uh so yeah that's that's not great but you know like it's just how you know weak that metaphor for uh like marginalized identities is uh when you're just doing these like you know perfect white bodies <laughs> um yeah mm-hmm. uh, so um, i don't know i think yeah that's kind of a flaw still in the second one but that's them trying to be like uh you know faithful to the world building i guess 
Yeah, but I think I, I read an article about this too around the time when it came out um, by an Asian woman who critiqued the fact that um, filmmakers in both the first um, Blade Runner and the second one have all these advertisements in um, like Japanese and they feature like um, Asian women and you know they're trying to make it kind of look like like oh this is like multicultural cityscape but then you know literally none of the characters in either one of them are Asian yeah. which is like that wouldn't be hard right. to well, do you know they did have uh, what James Hong is the like <laughs> eye designer guy in the first one he's not even really but he's oh not yeah even but yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah but like even in the second one like yeah. you'd think that they'd have like at least one main character yeah who's actually representative of a different thing but uh, yeah. yeah yeah these are flawed but <laughs> shoot yeah um Dang, yeah. Uh, I don't know. What else? What What other thoughts do you have on the flick? Yeah. I feel like that's um, the majority of them, probably. I mean, that's pretty much what I covered my essay. Um, the stuff about the relationships, um, the film existing under um, late, late neoliberal capitalism and women. Those were the things that I mostly focused on. And I also mentioned that article about race in the film. Oh, I guess uh, we can key in on a good old Harrison Ford. Um, (laughs) So kind of going outside of the film, do you have any particular thoughts on like this uh, late phase of his career? (laughs) Or are you much of a Harrison Ford aficionado? Oh, oh, it's better. Okay. Uh, yeah. So like, um, are you much of a Harrison Ford aficionado? Do you have any thoughts on the, his late stage career? Um, like, I, I don't have any like yeah. super spicy takes on Harrison yeah. Ford at this point. Um, I think he's just like an older dude who like will be call back in to do movies sometimes and he'll like begrudgingly say yes. Yep. And, like, that's how it felt with, like, the, um, the, not the first Star Wars, the newest, the first in the new Star Wars trilogy, um, you know, and then he, his character died, and, um, then, yeah, this one, too, because he just plays, like, grumpy old man, which, like, is hard to play, Yeah, he's getting by on, like, the fact that he is so iconic, but I I think he's kind of earned it. Like, he gets to revisit these roles, and it's like, he's just, like... (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I like grumpy old man Harrison Ford. Like, there's not a lot of performance there anymore, but... I don't know. I enjoy that persona enough that I I love it a lot. Um, um, Yeah, me too. I, I don't have a a big issue with it. I think it also helps that he's not in like a ton of like extra stuff. Like it's usually he's just um, appearing in things like this when he's asked to be because he can afford to be choosy. Yeah, definitely. Uh, 
Yeah, and at least they'll defer to him. I'm like glad that he's been. I think he wanted like Han Solo to be killed off in Return of the Jedi, and then like George Lucas is like, no, <laughs> then we can't sell toys of you anymore. Like we <laughs> we need this to be like happy. Um, but, but, <laughs> Even when he was like younger, he's oh, still yeah, like a completely. grumpy old man. Oh like, yeah, I, just, um, I don't. Know, mm-hmm. I think one of the things I admire um, most about him is like he just uh, he just has no time for nerd shit. So like uh, when he does like um, oh, like yeah, uh, when he views and stuff like the best articles are when like people know not to talk to him about like the actual subject matter of the movies because he t- he couldn't give less of a fuck about <laughs> Star Wars or anything like that so he'll just like mess with people that are like oh what do you think about your character's motivation here blah 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 and uh, like the ones that really get him to open up are when they just like talk to him about acting in general or like movies in general because it's. Yeah, he's like, I don't know, it's a very workman-like attitude towards acting and stardom that is very unusual nowadays, and... and yeah, yeah, it's kind of refreshing. Um, yeah, so Harrison Ford, he good. Uh, he good. I, I remember around the time when this movie came out, there was, like, a popular interview that was circulating of, like, him and Ryan Gosling, and I think... She was, like, um, a British reporter, and, like, they were, like, all just drinking in the interview and just, like, making fun of each other, and it was, like, one of the, like, the best, <laughs> most wholesome thing I've ever seen. They, like, hardly talked about the movie at all. Yeah. Uh, it was great. Also, I think one of the on-set stories was, like, um, like during the filming of, like, the fight scene between uh, Ryan Gosling and Harrison Ford, uh, like... Ryan Gosling accidentally punched Harrison Ford so that he just punched him right back. Um, well, uh, and then Harrison Ford showed up to Ryan Gosling's like hotel room later that night with like a bottle of scotch and then like as an apology, but then he just drank most of the bottle of scotch. <laughs> just to put the kid. Just to put the kid. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, it's a. I think I had some misgivings about like casting Ryan Gosling in this role, but it is kind of a perfect fit with his, um, you know, whole post Disney thing. Uh, like, I don't know. It's uh, of yeah. a piece with like drive or something. And then you get like those little moments of emotion. Like uh, I really like the scene where he's, uh, where he, um, where he's confirmed that his memory is real. And he's just like, God damn it. Like, uh, yeah i i think he does do a good job because i think um like i didn't have any um super specific opinions on um how i i thought he would play the role like in regards to whether it would be like good or bad um but i like i think he does kind of have this um general image of being kind of like the like soft sensitive caring guy like that's the role he's usually put in like even in la la land like that's kind of Uh, what his character is like um Uh, but he yeah he did a good job i think kind of subverting that in this film yep uh i don't i mean it's very uh yeah it feels of a piece with like um drive or when like which was kind of like the big break and is you know up until that point he very much was like the uh you know cute rom-com or romantic lead or whatever and then 
they kind of did that and then he was like <laughs> you know you just uh, crushed a man's skull in an elevator in that movie <laughs> in an elevator <laughs> just sort of oh wow <laughs> ryan gosling can do that too all right um i don't know yeah that guy's he's a he's a talented dude uh yeah uh did you see the nice guys at all the one with him and uh no Russell i haven't Crow? yeah another 70s um noir piece shane black wrote and directed and i don't know he's a little more comic in that one so he's like an alcoholic detective it's great i like that movie a lot um i like ryan gosling a lot uh yeah i guess we can sort of wrap up here um yeah anything you want to plug right now anna um yeah my my friend katrina and i we have go that we have our um, podcast called Good Faith Comrades, where we talk about um, philosophy and our lives as um, undergraduate students and trying to get into grad school, um, but mostly philosophy. So follow us on Twitter. Um, we're going to have more episodes up soon. I'm going to actually try to edit some this weekend. Hell yeah, it's a it's a good podcast, folks. So definitely check that out. Um, or yeah, it's uh, I know it's on SoundCloud. Um, yes, we're on so. SoundCloud only right now, I believe. Right. All right. Well, uh, hey, thanks for coming on, talking about some Blade Runner, and uh, you're welcome back anytime. Thank you. I appreciate it.